Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. The UK's Prevent strategy, which aims to spot potential terrorists before they've committed any dangerous acts, has been operating in relative secrecy for over a decade. But as criticisms of the programme have mounted, the government has started to be more open about its controversial methods. Esther Bintliff discusses this with Helen Worrell, our public policy correspondent, who's been behind the scenes to see what Prevent does. Just before we go into the details of Britain's Prevent programme, could we take a look at an example of Prevent in action? What happened in the 2017 Parsons Green attack? So on the 15th of September 2017, a bomb partially exploded on London's district line in the morning rush hour. It was a normal commuter train, completely packed with people going into work, school children, that sort of thing. And 30 people were injured, but it could have been much, much worse if the bomb had actually exploded the way it was designed to work, because this was the same very damaging chemical that was used in the 7-7 underground bombing. So essentially, this was a sort of failed, homemade, not particularly professional bomb, but the motivation behind the attack was for something much, much more severe. Okay, and what did we find out about the attacker and his background? Well, this is really interesting because the attacker was Ahmed Hassan, who is an 18-year-old Iraqi who had arrived in the UK two years before as an unaccompanied child asylum seeker. These are a really interesting group of people. They are children, anyone under the age of 18 who's essentially come in on their own, usually from the Middle East, fleeing conflict. And Hassan actually told immigration officials that he had been trained to kill by ISIS. That was when he first arrived? Not directly when he came in, but when he was applying for asylum. So he arrived sometime in 2015 and early in 2016 when he was applying for asylum. He told officials that he'd been, you know, trained to kill and he'd had this background. And as a result, he was rightly referred to the government's prevent counter-radicalisation programme in Surrey, which is where he had been placed in foster care. So that was the sort of background to the attacker. Okay. And had anyone spotted the signs that Hassan was being radicalised or had continued to sort of have these ideas? Well, it's very strange. It seems that although on one hand he had been highlighted as a risk, there wasn't a very joined up, effective approach to managing his case. For instance, police were told that he was absconding from foster care, but they didn't pass this on to the other officials who were sort of managing Hassan on the Prevent programme. There was also some sign that he was very anxious about the process of his asylum appeal. And again, I think people maybe didn't realise the effect to which the anxiety about this was sort of having an effect on his views about being in Britain and views about Britain itself. One of the odd things, actually, in this case is that he'd been referred to the most intensive level of prevent, which is known as channel. So, in theory, his case should have been discussed at a monthly meeting of lots of support staff, you know, police, social workers, mental health experts, teachers. But actually, in the six months before the attack, the first six months of 2017, Surrey didn't convene a prevent panel at all. So there was a sort of complete lapse in information sharing. And in the one meeting that was held just before the attack, just 10 days before, they even discussed closing Hassan's case. So obviously, while some bits of information were sort of leaching out, and some people were obviously aware of anxieties, there didn't seem to be a very joined up approach to sort of gripping this as a problem. I mean, that's 
an extraordinary story and it seems to point to some really fundamental failings in the programme. Does that case tell us more broadly about the controversy that has come up around the Prevent programme? Well, it does tell us something. And actually, Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee, who did a huge report into all the terrorist attacks in Britain in 2017, were unbelievably critical of the Prevent programme in their report about Parsons Green and essentially said this highlighted really deep-rooted issues in the administration of Prevent. The issue with the Prevent really is that it has these very bold aims. It wants to identify people who are at risk of radicalisation and violent extremism and to safeguard them through offering them mentoring and training But actually making sure that you choose the right people and identify the right people is very difficult. And Hassan's case shows that even when you do identify the right people, keeping tabs on their mental state, on their movements, building up a detailed picture of what they're doing is actually very difficult because these people are not under surveillance. They're not subjects of interest in the MI5 terminology. They're just people who are essentially receiving help from lots of sort of statutory council services. I think one of the very difficult things about Prevent from the Home Office's point of view is that in a way they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If someone involved in a terrorist attack, it turns out they were known to Prevent. That looks bad because it's obviously somebody who was known to be a risk who was not being correctly managed. If it's somebody who wasn't known to Prevent, well, that's also bad because it's a suggestion that they're not necessarily finding, identifying and helping the right people. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that you talk about in the magazine piece that you've written about this is the comparison with the film Minority Report. And you have a quote from someone who says it's a bit like the sort of pre-crime idea in that film. It's set in a kind of future dystopia where there's an attempt to predict who is going to commit crimes and to act before they commit those crimes. And in a sense, that is the sort of impossible task that governments are faced with. And the question is, is it worth trying. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, yes, it is worth at least trying. But then you run into these sort of legal questions as well. And I think some of the other criticisms around Prevent have come from that idea of prejudging people or looking at groups as a whole and saying who's likely to Definitely. I mean, the the Muslim community have argued for a very long time that they are being targeted by Prevent and that it was essentially set up with them in mind. Although, actually, what's happening more recently is that the increasing risk from the far right means that the most recent statistics for those referred to the highest level of intervention, which is channel, is split sort of 50-50 between far right and Islamist extremist individuals. But I think one of the other very controversial things about Prevent is that it's seen as a form of surveillance. And in 2015, David Cameron introduced a sort of much tougher, beefed-up prevent policy, which requires teachers and healthcare workers and local council officers to essentially report on people who they come across through their everyday work, who they think are potentially at risk. And this is a statutory duty, which means it's a legal obligation, which is a very serious requirement. And, you know, this has led, I think, understandably to some people worrying that children or patients or just people going about their daily lives are being somehow monitored or scrutinised by professionals who are worried that if they don't do this, they're going to somehow be in trouble. So, I mean, we first talked about the idea for this piece, I think, in 2016, and it took a long time for the Home Office to agree to give you the access that you needed to really 
get inside the workings of Prevent. Can you just tell us a bit about why that was and what it was like? Sure. I mean, I think the Home Office have tried to be open with me and they have given me access to staff working for Prevent. I've been able to visit lots and lots of Prevent training programmes. I've been able to go, I think, more deeply into the everyday workings of the programme than many other journalists have been. But as you say, it's taken a very long time. And I think Prevent is in the process of coming out of the shadows at the moment. Politically, that's a very difficult process. A lot of what they do is very controversial, can be misinterpreted. And I think it's very difficult for a home office culture, which is essentially to manage this very close to them and to hold it very much inside the department, to actually be more open about their methods. At the same time, last year, and this is something I report on in the piece, there was a study by a sort of Whitehall policy group that suggested that de-radicalisation programmes fundamentally didn't have an evidence base behind them. And I think the Home Office is aware of these criticisms and knows that fundamentally they feel that they need to do something, but it's difficult to tell whether or not this particular approach is the right one. And that makes them, I think, quite wary of allowing people in to see what it is they're doing and how they do it. And that's one of the things that the Home Office is doing as you say, to address these criticisms? And is there anything else that they seem to be willing to do? Well, as it happens just this week, they have announced a really big independent review into the Prevent programme, which is quite big news because this is something that MPs and human rights campaigners and many Muslim groups like the Muslim Council of Britain have been arguing for for years and years. Because, again, there's been, I think, some internal evaluation of Prevent, but nothing that's really been in the public domain. So I think lots of people are hoping that, depending on who is appointed to do this review and how long it takes, this could actually shed some light on the workings of the programme and examine some of the criticisms about things like human rights infringements that people have been very concerned about. All right. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you. That was Esther Bintliff talking to Helen Worrell, our public policy correspondent. And you can find a link to Helen's article in our show notes. We'll be back with another news feature next week. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com offer.